Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Barger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me, as usual, is my co-host, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Um, hanging in there, I guess. I don't know. I feel like my to-do list just keeps getting longer the more items that I do on it, so I I don't know what that's about, and it's very upsetting. Uh, yeah. Uh, other than the fact that I feel like I can never get anything done, and you know, like all the boulders are rolling backwards on me. Um, what are we talking about today? <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, this is a slight change in our our subject matter. Actually, not that this matters to any of you because you are all not privy to the lengthy arguments that we go through when discussing the podcast schedule. But uh, I think we told you guys that we were going to do. Uh, a classics revisited on the Buccaneers at the beginning of the new year to um, go along with Apple TV's The Buccaneers. And we are absolutely still going to do that. But because of um, the fact that I had COVID and the crush of unperformed tasks, we are swapping it out for a slightly less lengthy classics revisited. And the next one will be The Buccaneers, I promise. <laughs> um, instead, we are going to indulge my current Michael Sheen hyperfixation by talking about uh, the 2015 film adaptation, the 2015 film adaptation. Let me say it that way, because that's actually the correct way to phrase that uh, of Thomas Hardy's Far From the Matting Crowd. Yes, I realize I just called something that came out in 2015 a classic, but it's like when you hear U2 on the classic radio station for the children who are listening, U2 is a band. <laughs> um, I, I will say that my favorite way to make my husband cringe is whenever we hear Nine Inch Nails, I go, ooh, oldies. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, now that I've been incredibly cruel to you, too, um, let's see. Wow, I uh, love you, too. There will be no YouTube slander, YouTube, YouTube slander on the show. Um, they are great. The Joshua Tree was like a formative album for me. It's okay. And I actually liked the one they forced on everyone's iPhones. So take that. <laughs> um, so uh, honestly, I uh, Far From the Madden Crowd is one of those books that they make you read in school. Um, and honestly, like, I remember reading it and sort of not getting it because I it was just so long and kind of dull. And then I watched so I uh, I watched the movie at the time. And this was, of course, um, in the 1990s. And the only movie that existed at that point was the 1967 version. And that is the version that sort of imprinted on me. As uh, as a as which a, is very different from this version. Yes, it is, and I have to admit that rewatching the 2015 version, I kind of had a moment of when you watch the 2005 Pride and Prejudice and are reminded that Michael McFadden, Michael McFadden, as much as I love him, is the inferior Darcy. Um, I I, I love you, Carrie Mulligan, but you are no Julie Christie. Um. <laughs> I actually really like Carrie Mulligan in this part. I really like this adaptation, number one, because uh, I tend to find Thomas Hardy something of a slog to read. <laughs> um, and this, almost to a fault, actually to a fault in places, does its best to really just like cliff notes the crap out of that book. Mm. Like it just streamlines everything mm. uh, to its detriment in some places, which I will talk about in a second. But it it is very... Um, 
it's not it's beautiful to look at, but it's actually very propulsive to watch because it it really cuts cuts the plot like to the bone yes and actually i think that's part of the reason why i like the 1967 version better because it doesn't cut it to the bone it actually sort of revels in it in a way that films don't do now and tv shows don't do anymore either it it, you know literally there's um the thing that i remember about the 67 version is the, the the trippy cows like the drunks all come out of the barn and they stare at the cows and the cows are all like because you know it's the 70s and every or the 60s and everybody's um, tripping instead of you making weird drunk cow sounds i'm gonna tell the people what the story is about because i suspect <laughs> far from the batting crowd is a book that you probably had to read some part of but don't really remember um which is I think how a lot of people probably think about Thomas Hardy's works, which also include um, Jude the Obscure and uh, Tests of Durberbills and something else that I'm forgetting. It's basically a double love triangle. It's like two love triangles squashed together, like sort of like two love pieces of pie. It (laughs) it follows the story of um, a woman named Bathsheba Everdeen. And if you hear that last name and it sounds familiar, it is because this is the character that Susan Collins uh, took the inspiration for Katniss Everdeen's name from. Um, Fun fact for the youths. And uh, she's very like, uh, Bathsheba is very, whatever sort of the Thomas Hardy version of a manic pixie dream girl is. She's very like, I will not be stifled by these men and their wants. And she's very willful and she feels very modern in a lot of ways as a character. Uh, which is, I think, why I like her, even though I don't always like her choices. But I think that's probably the the sign of a good character. Anyway, so she ends up inheriting a farm from her uncle. And uh, she has a bunch of, of ill-advised or just weird relationships with the various men around her from a guy who was her neighbor and is a sheep herder to a sort of wealthy landover who ends up being her neighbor later on to this hot soldier who just ha- is just like a walking red flag but i don't i don't know <laughs> that women back then knew the phrase red flag and uh she's a lot of emotional entanglements with these people all while trying to you know she she's really protective of her independence she doesn't want to be someone's wife she wants to have a life on her own terms she wants to be independent in a way that it also feels very modern, I think. And mm. the story yeah, is very... basically like the story is basically like which one of these men she marries. But it's there's a lot of other stuff that happens along the way. Yeah. Um. This was written. The The book was originally written in like 1870 something, I think. Um. I have 1874. To like... I have 18... Wikipedia open in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> um. OK. I remember the, the film actually says it's set in 1870. Um. But uh. Honestly, like, so it is kind of a Victorian manic fixie dream girl in that way. Um, the thing that I really love about this movie more than the 67 movie is that the three types are so distinct in a way that the 67 movie didn't feel like Tom Sturridge is hot soldier. Oh, by the way, we should tell you that this movie is just a festival of Hey, It's That Guy. As yeah. It stars... Tom Sturridge, who is currently playing the Lord of the Dreaming and the Sandman, Juno Temple from Ted Lasso, Carrie Mulligan, who is literally, I think, up for an Oscar right now, 
and who was in Maestro, who was in Saltburn, who was in Promising Young Woman, uh, Michael Sheen. I, there's just so many familiar people in this. Mm-hmm. In it's it's very fun in that way. Anyway, continue. Yeah, the the only one who might you might not recognize is the guy who plays Gabriel Oak. Um, I I don't actually know how to pronounce his last name. It's Mathis. His, his name is Ma- is Matthias something. Yes. It's Matthias S. Let's call him that. I'm not even going to try it. It's very like Dutch. Um, but he is actually he plays um. Kate Winslet's boyfriend in the upcoming HBO series The Regime. Um, oh. so he so you're about to see him like uh, in a major role on HBO. Um, and then of course there's Michael. Sh- uh, so he's he's kind of like the farmer dude who is sort of the steady presence in her life, who's her friend without ever actually like like you ask her to marry him once, and when she says no, he just kind of becomes her friend. Um, but though he's still like pining in the background. Yeah, but he's like he he gets friend zoned and he accepts it. He could go get a different job, but yeah. he does not do that. Um, Michael Sheen is the older landowner who she teases. And by and sh- older, we mean he's 40. <laughs> um, Let's just underline that. Yeah. Um, and he, <laughs> she sort of teases him and he becomes super infatuated with her and like kind of obsessed with her. Well, what's so weird about this? Listen, we're gonna, let, remind me to come back to that because the whole Boldwood arc in this movie is really weird. Such weird, weird, I mean, different, not weird, I mean, strange. It's very different from how the book ends. And it's yeah. also very different, like, tonally. Anyway, we'll yeah. come back to that. Um, and I then, have a whole thing on that. And then Sturridge is the hot soldier who she ends up actually marrying. The red flag. And it turns out that he's actually madly in love with somebody else who he thought abandoned him at the altar, but didn't. She just went to the wrong church. And that is played. And that is the woman played by Juno Temple. That subplot actually gets the gets the porous shrift mm, in this version yes yeah. and it, it part of the reason why i feel like that that gets the porous shrift in this version is that this version takes away all of the weird dramatics of the 67 version and the book it tries to make everything very naturalistic well i actually think it's beautiful i think the whole movie is beautiful to look at it really really gets the whole like bucolic rural perfection hardy thing down the problem with the um fanny and frank story is that they literally don't spend any time on it so you don't know who fanny is or care care about her like literally we meet her when she's like i'm gonna marry that guy and then she doesn't marry that guy and then she shows up later to die that is her entire arc it's partly because they cut it down so much but also like that's one of the places where the cuts hurt it i think it's that story doesn't have any emotional resident resonance because it's just like oh, okay because you don't find out anything about like what um happens to her after she goes to the wrong church like how their relationship like sort of you know how their relationship ends what he does after that like, there's this big gap until she shows up like day ex machina style towards the end yeah surprisingly um, pregnant yeah uh, the thing is is that it's only nine months later right because I know, isn't that when the movie really makes it feel like so much more time has passed than you actually think because it's like wait a minute she's still pregnant with his what? well that's sort of the thing is that in the book and this is the thing that the 67 movie really sort of got me to understand about the book is that it's sort of it's over the top melodrama 
And so it's it's ridiculous that she's still pregnant because it feels like years have passed and years have basically passed and she's still pregnant. And it's sort of ludicrous in the same way that Michael Sheen's character in the book and in the 67 movie, his behavior is over the top ludicrous in the movie, in, in, the, in, the, in the 67 movie, like he's stealing clothes, anything that has her name on it. He's an obsessive freak you you think that he's gonna be like a serial killer with like with like her pictures all over the walls in his house right and the and and the 2015 film just takes all of that away and like i I actually think that's one of its better choices but (laughs) it is very different from the source material yeah and that in the source material um boldwood is a lot more like a stalker yeah and and a little less like the kind of sad um the sad, older, handsome gentleman who is only 40 next door, <laughs> who is also rich. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, they, I, he's honest, not a bad option in the movie. Right? Like, <laughs> honestly, that's the other problem with the 2015 movie is that he's such a good option that, like, it doesn't honestly make all that much sense. Well, no, I was going to talk about this later, but I'll talk about it now. And I just like, and I don't know if this is just that I've gotten older since the last time mm-hmm. I've seen this. I've gotten married the last time since I, so I've gotten married since I've seen this, but I'm watching this and I'm like, girl, what are you doing? Like, that is the man you marry. <laughs> Like, that is the sensible option go, here. Do not go with the dirtbag who we all like. We all dated that guy at one point. Like, do not go with that guy. Do not go with the dude you friend zoned. Like, that is the adult option that you should take. Mm-hmm. And because in the movie, he's really just like, like he's very, he's very kind. He's considerate. He's like very, he's he's like a good dude. Yeah, he waits for her. Like he is. Willing to help her save her farm. Yeah. Like, the one act of violence that he does towards the end almost feels totally out of character in the 2015 movie. I was like, where did he get the gun from? Right. I totally believe that he would have done that. But that gun just seemed to literally like fall from the sky. Yeah. Um, And in the book, mm-hmm. in the book, um, he actually tries to shoot himself after mm-hmm. that. Right. And actually goes crazy and gets uh the movie ends with him like in a jail cell but in the book he i think goes to an asylum because mm-hmm. everybody just sort of decides that he's crazy mm-hmm. like, um in the okay the 67 movie makes it very clear that he has been driven around the bend by basically being sexually humiliated by um by frank and that this is this is basically like him snapping completely that he simply cannot take it anymore. Yeah, the movie does not do that at all. Yeah. And like I said, the the 67 movie was so useful to me in understanding the book because the book was such a slog for me. I just felt so I mean, granted, I know like I'm in the middle of like I'm down bad for Michael Sheen right now, but the whole time I was watching it, like I was like, "Girl, what are you doing?" Mm. Like pick him. Mm. Because he's just like the better option. And something else that I think that the this particular adaptation really leans into is what a bitch Bathsheba is to him. Yeah. Like, she is awful. Part of the thing that they don't, part of the thing they have to put it in there because it has to happen for the rest of the story to happen. But they gloss so hard over her choice to send that Valentine mm-hmm. and like how cruel that mm-hmm. actually was. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. 
So that's like an order of magnitude more than they even like put in this movie. But like they literally just they make her look so awful for basically just being that word I said a second ago to her, mm-hmm. to her being that word I said a second ago to him. And also just like they really play it as like she's stringing him on. Yes. Like purposefully, which mm-hmm. is weird. This is an interesting choice, but it's weird. And yes, and that's part of the pro again, that's part of the problem with the way that Carrie Mulligan plays this character because she doesn't want her character to be a bad person. When she does bad things, they feel weird and they don't feel like they fit. Whereas with Julie Christie, and I think that this is partly because it was another time and place and there wasn't this sense of of needing to have a heroine be good and because Julie Christie already had kind of a reputation as a sort of minx that this this sort of teasing thing didn't bother the act the actress to do in the same way I don't know it just it doesn't I think you, it, I it, think what they're trying to do mm-hmm. is I think they I think that the through line is that is is that she's never really had to like think about how she treats others mm, in the yes. sense of like she doesn't treat Gabriel very well when he proposes to her. Mm-hmm. Um, she strings Boldwood along, mm-hmm. and then and that it's, it's it's impetuousness. I think maybe more than cruelty because then she like immediately is like, oh no, Tom Sturridge is hot. Let's go. Which I'm not arguing with. The man is a looker, but also red flag. Okay, the this is the thing that actually bothers this is the other thing that bothers me about the 2015 movie that I wanted from that that I had forgotten it had sort of not gotten right. Okay, so in the book there is this thing about how he gives her a private display of swordplay. And I remember reading that as a 14-year-old. Well, they do keep it. It's him it's him it's him, you know, waving his sword around literally in yes. the woods. Well, okay. As a 14-year-old, I'm like reading this and I'm thinking, do they mean, is that supposed to be, I don't know. I think that means, is this, I thought Victorians were prudes, right? <laughs> I mean, I think it's supposed to make you think of that, but I think it is actually like, here is a sword. Well, no, because the thing is, is when I saw the movie, the 67 movie, and it's ludicrous. Okay, the scene in the 67 movie is, again, like, psychedelically ludicrous. Like, he runs at her down the hill. Like, he swings it around. It is trippy. And it is weird. And it is, and again, like, serial killer vibes. Much, much like, much like, much like, uh, much like the older guy. Like they all have, like they all have serial killer vibes. And this doesn't, it has like a weirdly erotic, like, charge to it. Oh, I think it's supposed to. I think it's supposed to. Well, that's the thing. I don't feel like the 2015 had one. I felt like it was just. it absolutely does. The stabbing sword thing is not, is, is. It's supposed to be hot. Okay, see, I didn't think that Tom Sturridge was all that hot doing it. I felt like he was like, okay, I'm taking my sword out, waving it around. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know. Didn't do it for me. (laughs) Sorry, Tom Sturridge. You you can go back to being naked in a bubble in in, in the Sandman, though. That was cool. (laughs) He got his clothes back on that already. (laughs) Um, um, I am not a fan of his mustache in this, though. 
No, I am. Facial, I, facial, facial hair is normally not for me, except I, in very specific instances. I, 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 I understand that it is period appropriate, but there's just something about the 1870s hair that does not work for a lot of men. I will say it does actually work for Michael Sheen, though. I mean, that it really does. I have to. I, I assume that's because he's Welsh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Uh, um. Yeah, I don't know. That's actually very close to sort of like his normal look nowadays. I mean, minus like the cravats and stuff, but yeah, still. True. Um, I also have to say that I I had not realized that Juno Temple was in this um, until oh, I that's came. That's because she's barely in it. Until we came back to the rewatch. And I was very disappointed in how little she is in it. Because the Fanny, the Fanny subplot is actually like a huge part of the book. Mm-hmm. Um. And they don't, and they have to, they put the bits in here that they have to have so that other stuff happens later. But they like, Fanny has no perspective or agency, and you have no idea. Like, you know, there, there's just like a big gap between when she goes to the wrong church and when she shows up again later that you have no idea what happened and the movie doesn't care. Yeah. Um, and I was, I, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I, I put it on, and I was like, oh, really? I forgot the Judah Temple was in this. And then like she disappeared and I'm like, oh, well, that's why I forgot the Judah Temple was in this. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, she's barely in it. Yes, I know. Um, I do have to say, though, that for all that, like I'm criticizing the 2015 movie like this, you're right. It is absolutely beautiful. And that is one of the things about, you know, these period films that don't that. One of you know, I I've been sort of like trying to remember when I've seen a film that is this pretty in this sort of so in, pretty, right? In, in in this sort of like you know, in in this in the in the same way, everything that, is like with dappled with light and it's yeah. lush and green and beautiful. Um, it's gorgeous, and everybody mm. in it is attractive. Like their <laughs> costumes are great. Like it is very pretty. Yeah. And and I have to I have to say that that is probably one of the things about this film is that it does sort of capture that kind of look that had sort of, you know, for all that we say that like, you know, that has kind of gone out the window and that we don't sort of want these sort of, you know, these these sort of like lush, you know, British uh, period piece movies, you know, the way that we used to. Um, I honestly, like, I have to say that this made me miss those um, in a way. And it's sort of why I realized that this is correct for a classic, even though it is technically only nine years old. It's practically a decade. Practically a decade. But it is uh, a fun fact. Uh, 2024 is the 100th anniversary of um, the publication of this book, I believe. Or 100. Maybe it's, oh no, actually it's 150. Math. I don't believe in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, for 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 all that I I would say that I I still think I like the the 67 version better. And I do think that the over the topness really yeah I don't losing I that will was... admit that I haven't seen it, but like that sounds like it would irritate me. I think this makes some interesting choices in just kind of and it is 150. I literally just used a calculator. It's 150 years since the publication <laughs> of the original novel. Um math. math math is witchcraft. 
Anyway, uh, I think it makes some really interesting sort of modernizing kind of choices in the sense of I love I I clearly like Carrie Mulligan's performance more than you, but I just I like how unabashedly sort of like contemporary their attitude towards Bastrava is in this. It's like I just it's very refreshing. Uh, I like that they sort of try to make Gabriel and Mr. Boldwood friends. Mm. Like it's just very like unexpected. Yeah, I will say that it actually was that 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 is a nice touch that there are things about this that are much more modern about that because they of course they wouldn't be friends because of the class difference um, and that that would simply just not even have happened. But honestly, like, I think that the fact that they are allowed to kind of cross lines because we don't do that because it's a more modern film and it- well, and I mean, not to again, I, I am very pro Boldwood in, in this particular adaptation, not not in the book because he sucks in the book. But in this particular adaptation, they decide to just make him really lonely. Yeah. And because instead he of is. like psychotic, he's just, he's just really lonely, which feels very normal. Well, he I mean, he, I think he's also lonely in, in, in the book, but he's because he's lonely and unable to break through. I mean, he's just sad. He's not crazy. Well, no, that the craziness comes from being lonely and not able to break through class lines to find friendship. Maybe. Whereas here, I think it's more, you know, like I think e- they, I think they make it feel a little bit like even if, um, because in in the book they do, if I'm recalling correct, I think this is, I think this is right. I think in the book, um, when Bastava thinks that Red Flag is dead, which is so dramatic. Um, <clears throat> they have that same conversation about, you know, well, you should marry me. Like, I can take care of you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in the book, they actually, she says yes, but they have to wait like five years or something. Four years. Oh, yes. In the book, it's uh, uh, we need to wait like four years or something to prove that he is dead so that. Um, and then, of course, he comes back like literally like the next week. Five and, minutes later. And literally in. The other thing is that the uh, the movie changes how he comes back because in in the book and in the 67 version, he comes back as part of a traveling circus. And there's a whole thing. Ooh, keep that. Keep that. Right. <laughs> I forgot that part. But right? I do remember that they were actually like engaged to be engaged for a hot second. Mm-hmm. But they don't do that in the show, which I nope. think is. Interesting for a couple in the show, in the movie, whatever this is that we're talking about, this product. The, yeah, the 2015 version. Um, the 2015 version, they don't do that. Instead, they give Bathsheba like um, a bit more agency in this. But interestingly, they also kind of make them seem like friends. Mm. Like maybe they would have, you know, they're not going to get married, but they're still neighbors and maybe they'll be kind of friends. I don't know. It's very much less like dumping. Yeah. Because they haven't, okay, A, because they haven't made him over the top obsessed, there's room to make them friends in this version. Um, But again, like, because they, because they change so much of that ending and they streamline it so much, they take out the circus, they take out her I mean, they could keep the, they could keep the circus. I'm not going to be mad about that. I just have a lot of questions like where did this where did the circus come from? Like I have questions, but I've blocked that out. Basically, he's penniless and that's is how he travels back is that he hooks up with the circus and she sees him in the audience and she doesn't know that it's him. 
And all this happens in nine months, guys. Right? Like, all, yeah, dude, it's all like, right? And that's sort of the point is that it's so over the top and it's so ridiculous, right? And like, it's super melodrama. Uh, I could take or leave that. But I feel like that because they don't have a lot of um, uh, the sort of kind of traditional signposts a little bit of some of this story, like, and they don't really go into the class things as much as like if this had been a TV series, it probably would mm. have. Um, so you, you lose the why it's interesting that that Boldwood and Gabriel are kind of friends. It doesn't make any sense when you see how Gabriel scrubs the with ch- and child off of Fanny's coffin. Right. Like, it's very it's 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 very direct. Which is not always bad, but sometimes sometimes it's not good either. Actually, now that you say that and it occurs to me I think that this is definitely one of those books that suffers from being a movie because it feels the need to streamline so much in order to fit into a movie runtime. Well, I mean, the book is like, how long is the book? The book is like 500 pages. So, And I'm pretty sure the 67 movie is like four hours. I'm pretty sure it was on two VHS tapes when I got it from Blockbuster. (laughs) VHS tapes, kids, used to come like in multiple, like Titanic, for example, came on two VHS tapes because it was too long to fit on one. Um, honestly, like it was, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was, I'm pretty sure it was a four hour movie because in 67, you could make a four hour movie. If they made another version of Far From the Madden Crowd now. I think it would end up being a prestige TV show. Like a limited TV show? Like a limited TV series. I wouldn't necessarily be mad about that. No, but, I don't think so either. And I, would I, think like it, to keep, I would like it to keep some of the choices from this, though, because I do think there are some, some good decisions here. You know what we haven't talked about, which is hilarious, considering he's the guy who wins, is Gabriel, animal <laughs> murderer. <laughs> Oh, man. And I forgot his... how much animal death is in this movie. Oh, yes. There was so much animal death. Like all those sheep going off the hill. Oh, like maybe if you treated your dog better, it wouldn't have murdered all your sheep. Yeah. Um, you know how there's that website. Does the dog die? There should be a website. Do the sheep die? Yes. All of them. Many times. Um, the dog dies in this one as well. The dog does die too. Um, there, there are so many sheep that die, so many dogs that die, cows die. There's just everybody dies. Everybody dies. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, most, mostly it's animals and red flags, so you're okay. But <laughs> well, poor Fanny, I forgot her again, much as this movie does. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. In both versions, both the 67 version and in this version, Gabriel is kind of the least interesting of the group. My gosh, he's so boring. Right? And it's because he's supposed to be like the 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 the, the slow, gentle hero who is just kind of there and just kind of steady and just kind of, yeah. If I remember literature class correctly, I think he is meant to represent the sort of midpoint between um, Frank and Boldwood. Who who is supposed to be the like best of best of both of those kinds of worlds for her? Honestly, like I think he's supposed to represent like a steady that he's supposed to represent like steadiness and normality and 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 
and and basically all the Victorian values that you're supposed to value and all that. But honestly, like he's just dull. I'm sorry. So boring. maybe he'll be more I mean, interesting in the regime. He's pretty. I mean, he is pretty. Um. So I, you know, there's that. Um. He's pretty, but I'm sorry. I just he's so like. I think the thing that irritates me about him is that he feels like a Hallmark movie leading man a little bit in the sense that like he doesn't have any flaws or growth. Yeah, or he doesn't anything. That's Nothing. true. Um, for all that Frank is Mr. Red Flag, he does have an arc. It's not a pretty arc, but it's an arc. And for all that Michael Sheen isn't really allowed to be nearly as insane as he is in the book, he too does have an arc. And, you know, for all that I don't think she's as good as Julie Christie, I do have to agree that, that, that Carrie Mulligan, you know, her character really does... Like, she really grows up through this film. But, like, the movie literally starts with him proposing to her and then ends with him proposing to her. Yep. And, he stays and the stable. And the, dif- the only difference is she says yes the second time. Yes, because she's changed. He does nothing. He just shows up in random places to save other people's property. Yep. That's what he does. That's all he does. So there's a level where, like, that's why we don't talk about him, because he's just born. <laughs> He's so boring. It's unfor. I mean, I think I think maybe the reason that I kind of like his weird, like, I don't even know if friendship. Friendship might even be too strong a word. Sort of friendship, proto friendship with Boldwood, because at least it's like him doing something. I mean, doing something <laughs> like having like like having like a separate little like this. That's not about Bathsheba. It's not about it. Like that's just about him. In a yeah. way, I don't know. It's like that's that's probably why I've gl- I glommed onto it as being like so interesting because I was like he's doing something other than saving other people's capital. Yeah, um, I have to say that would probably be the one thing the sh- that a a prestige TV show would have to solve is that it's it's winning leading man is dull, and they would have to find a way to undull him. I mean, he's basically like the Victorian version of like the guy who has a Christmas tree farm, but a huge like classic house in your hometown that you came back to for Christmas. Like he somehow affords it with his Christmas tree farm that he just manfully chops down stoically. What you're saying is that they they just have to like cast Henry Cavill. That's what you're saying. I mean, look, I'm not saying that I wouldn't watch him do farm labor. I watched The Witcher, after all. <laughs> and that terrible, terrible wig. But, like, yeah, it's just, it's really hard to, it's really ha- hard to, I don't know. I just, part of it, too, is that he's so boring that I feel like Bathsheba deserves better than someone who's boring. Because she's so interesting, and she's so different than a lot of the heroines we see in short, in stories like this. Not to be like, she's not like other girls, but she's kind of not like other girls. And I kind of hate that she ends up with the same husband that all the other girls end up with. Yeah. Kelly, Taylor yourself, girl. <laughs> there is, I remember, one of the things I do remember from English class and the thing that, are, that, that has remained with me when we discussed this book is that it was, it was published anonymously first in, in like bouts in like in a magazine. Um, the same way that like Sherlock Holmes is published in magazines. 
and that people went around trying to guess who wrote it. And nobody knew that it was Thomas Hardy who wrote it. And everyone they guessed, even the male names, were actually women. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, like they guessed like George Eliot. Like every single person that they thought wrote it was a woman. And I oh, and that was one of the things about this book that has remained with me beyond anything else is that everybody thought a woman wrote it, even when they thought, quote, unquote, a man wrote it. They thought a woman wrote it. Why do we think that is? Because Bathsheba is so different. Because she's so different and because it was so radical to have a woman in this position being independent and that it was. Well, because the thing, because, again, it doesn't deal with this stuff enough, but the difference here is and this really should spell it out more than it does is that she has money Mm. that's the difference yes and that she has money without getting married yeah she inherited it that's why she's not a wealthy widow she's wealthy and single and never married well even if she was a wealthy widow it would be kind of the same thing but she would have had to get married to be a widow obviously but anyway it's the reason that witchcraft trials are always have old widows in them because people don't trust women with money yeah but i just wanted better for i just because i think her character is a really great character and i kind of hate that she ends up with dish rag guy <laughs> Speaking of which, if we did get a prestige series version, who would you want to see in it? Oh gosh, um, that was my big question. That was my big question that I wrote down that I wanted to ask you. Um, I wish you'd given me like a hint that that was a question that was coming. Let me think about it. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Well, gosh, Michael Sheen's like sixty now, so he could be technically like the old man in it and uh, actually like be 56. an old man. I think man. he's like fifty-six. I think he's like fifty-six, which is also not old, but neither is forty. <laughs> Um. Hmm. <laughs> Ooh, do you know Theo James would be really good for um Frank? Oh, that's a really good one. Yeah. I mean, he's sort of bit. He's sort of. He's sort of had. He's sort of played that part before, though. But he's a handsome rake. Yeah, and honestly, like he's leaning into his rake years now with the gentleman and 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 the white lotus and all that. So, you know, I, I think I think that would be that would totally be in his lane right now. I think I'm trying to think like who would be a good Gabriel that could be interesting in addition to being hot to being well yeah I mean yeah I mean I just want I just want that character to be better so I want to be, I'm thinking like who is an actor that could make that character better um because you know like there's actually you know who I think would be good for like the for for the older would be Samuel West for, for Boldwood yeah uh, for like, cra- I'm sorry. For like- I just have like a, I just have like a lot of leftover Mr. Selfridge trauma, <laughs> and I can't. I'm, I'm sorry. I keep forgetting <laughs> that you had. I keep forgetting how much you had to hate, uh, hate watch that show. I recapped like five years of that show. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <gasps> so I'm sure he's. I'm sure Samuel West is a lovely person. He seems great on the internet, but I just have a lot of. A lot of feelings. <laughs> um, James Norton. I mean, he could maybe be. He could maybe be Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I'm trying to think of. Like as a as a as a as a as a classically handsome but actually interesting 
because James Norton is classically handsome, but he's also like, you know, ever since he stopped being like, you know, the hot priest, he really has yeah, like the hot, far- hot farmer. Yeah, he could do hot farmer, but he could also like he, you know, he does actually put like real personality into, you know, and especially because he's played a lot of psychopaths um, since leaving the priesthood. <laughs> um <laughs> Like it's almost like it, it's almost like he desperately needs to play psychopaths uh, since being a hot priest. Um, speaking of hot priest, Andrew Scott. Ooh, Andrew Scott is an interesting choice. Yeah, but I, I always just—it's really unfortunate that I just, much like after watching Peter Capaldi as the Doctor, now I automatically read his characters like kind of positively slash kindly, necessarily even absent that impetus in like the text of the thing even in criminal record um girl i could make a lo- i will make a long argument about how i think that uh daniel Hagerty has his own moral code even if it's warped but um where's i going with this i tend to read andrew scott negatively simply because of moriarty okay well i can't wait for ripley to come out now <laughs> well i mean that's exactly look at that it's Ripley. Yeah, true. Uh, I though I'm just. I I'm like, that's also not just gonna, re- That's not gonna. That's not gonna undo my argument. That this is true. <laughs> I'm also just really glad that Netflix saved that show. I have to admit. Um. Anyway. Uh. Sorry. I know that I was kind of like. And um. Honestly, as the heroine. Uh, I'm gonna. You're oh, all. Gonna, do you know who might? Do you know who might make a really good Boldwood? Who? Tobias Menzies. Oh, that's good. Right? Oh, that's real good. I love that. I love that a lot. Because I, de- I definitely had moments in Outlander when I really felt... Um, I've only watched like, the two, first two seasons of Outlander because I have to take breaks because of all the rape. Mm-hmm. But um, I did really like the... Because he plays two characters in that show. One who is like a murderous rapist and the other who was just like a normal guy from the 40s and i really like normal guy from the 40s um i was thinking emma corin could do the other thought i had depending on how young you want to make her because one of the other things about um one thing the other things about the character is that she reads really young but i think she's actually older is Millie Bobby Brown. Oh, interesting. If you wanted to really go and like make her a 19 year old and make her like impetuously young and 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 really give like a growth arc of grow and making like really growing up, even though like it's only nine months long. Uh, <laughs> like, I think that would be a really interesting angle as well. But I think honestly that you probably want to cast mid twenties or later, and I think Emma Corrin would be someone who's more of the right age. Um, I like the I like the younger sister from the Buccaneers. I think she would be a good oh, choice. Yeah. I think her yeah. name is Imogen Waterhouse. Yeah, Imogen Waterhouse. That's not a bad thought either. Huh. Okay, good. I choices. do what I can. <laughs> um, call me Hollywood. I'm here. <laughs> To give you all sorts of advice on these programs. but uh, See, this is why I don't tell you my ideas beforehand. Because when I make you think you come up with great ideas. 
I really, the Tobias Menzies one is really good. I, yeah, I, um, I gotta say that, really that is a stroke of genius. I love it's that. It's like, boom. Um, I think that's our show. <laughs> Uh, as always, if you have um, suggestions for things that we should do a Classics Revisited uh, podcast episode or piece on the site on, we would love to hear them. We are at televisions at weta.org. I promise we're going to get to the Buccaneers. It's just COVID happened to me. So we'll get to the Buccaneers a little bit later. Uh, Annie, tell the people where they can find you on the Internet. You can find me at any bundle, basically everywhere. Blue Sky, Threads, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The only place you can't find me at any bundle is Twitter because I'm sitting on that handle, but I don't ever tweet anymore. Um, Yeah. If you want to know what I wrote this week, you basically just uh, Google me or, I don't know, DuckDuckGoMe, people who are leaving Google because Google is becoming unusable. I don't know. I I hear commercials for DuckDuckGo. What the heck? The world's weird now. I don't know. I, I, I'm getting old, Lacey. I don't, I don't keep up with the youths anymore. I know. That's <sighs> why we're doing a Classics Revisited on a movie from 2015. Um. <laughs> the day before my birthday and everything. All right. Anyway, uh, have a yeah, lo- Everybody uh, tell Annie happy birthday. When or something. This episode. I'm going to go eat um, ice cream cake after this is done. That's exciting. I know. Uh, I I am Lacey MB. I am still on Twitter and I'm also on all of the other many, many social media services that let you choose a profile name because I'm an addict and I need help. But uh, if you just want the site in the pod, we are on Facebook at Televisions Blog, all one word. And we live all the time at televisions.org, which has news, lists, recaps, reviews, interviews, exclusive clips. I don't even, we've got all kinds of stuff these days for you to check out and enjoy and if you like what we do you can click on that donate button up top to help us keep making all this great content for your eyes and ears in the process you can also get access to pbs passport which will let you watch a bunch of stuff early this winter and spring including the new seasons of scarlet all creatures um called the midwife when that drops in a couple of months there's just there's so much stuff i'm sure we have a post about what you can find there uh that's our show Thank you for listening. Thank you to Michael Sheen for existing for me to want to do this episode on. And uh, I don't know. Like I said, I still don't feel 100% and I had COVID. So if you have not gotten your booster shot or are, you know, feeling poorly, please test. Please take care of yourselves. Please take care of each other. Do what you can to keep the people around you safe because it sucks. And I can personally attest to that. So, Yeah. We, as always, appreciate every single one of you, as Gloria Swanson would say, listening out there in the dark. And uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening.